of God's gift to us. You ever been someplace magnificent? You know, in the, in the English language, we have that phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. But sometimes you go to a place and you try to show someone a picture you took there. It just, the place took your breath away. You were in awe of it. You, it was amazing. It was beautiful. You'd never seen anything like it. The mountains, the ocean, wherever it may have been. And, and you show them the picture and, and they don't seem nearly as moved as you've been. And, and so you say, well, the picture doesn't do us justice. Language cannot do us justice as to just how great and glorious the gift of God was in sending His Son Jesus for us. If you want to take notes this morning, there are a few things that that I thought about this week as I reflected on God's gift to us. First off, God's gift was unexpected. God's gift was unexpected. Think back to what we just read a moment ago. The circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. They're out of their element, even though that's his hometown. That's not where he lives. Maybe it's been a long time since he's been back there. We don't really know, but he goes back there and they're alone. There's no one with them. No family surrounding them, welcoming them in, as so many of you have opened up your home for relatives this Christmas season. You see, there was, in fact, no one waiting for the arrival of this gift. No one there in Bethlehem anxiously wringing their hands to see what God's gift to humanity would be. There were no religious leaders. There were no dignitaries or kings or royals celebrating His advent. Remember, the wise men came later. There there were no lines To see the king. In the Christmas story in Luke 2, we find that some angels appear to shepherds and let them know that the Savior had been born. And it told us in in verse 17 that when the shepherds saw it or saw the scene, saw the baby, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They, They got the news out. They told people about the gift. No one was waiting for him. But, but even after the fact, no one lined up to see him. It tells us in the next verse, verse 18, says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were astonished. They thought, wow, this is amazing. But you know, as you read on, there's, there's no one flocking to him. There's no crowds beginning to gather at the news. They heard it. The shepherds told them and they wondered. They were impressed. They were curious a little bit, but not enough to go see him. Not enough to begin following him. You know, it's possible to be moved by Jesus, even to wonder at Jesus, but not be changed by Jesus. It's possible to believe that Jesus existed as a historical fact without actually trusting him as your Lord and Savior. No one was anticipating this Messiah. This morning, maybe you've already opened up your Christmas gifts, and maybe, just maybe, the gift giver 
was able to surprise you. Maybe you got something, maybe you unwrapped something that you had no clue was coming. You know, I watch those commercials sometimes about people who buy brand new cars for a spouse or for a teenage child, and I think, they can. how do you pull that off? How do you completely surprise your spouse by getting a car? I, if you've ever done it, let me know how you pulled it off, because I just think the, the whole buying process and getting it in the driveway without her seeing, that'd it, be impressive. It's nice to receive a gift that was unexpected, to be truly surprised. Nobody was expecting the arrival of the Messiah. No one is expecting the king to be born in a cave, in a little, quiet, dusty, out-of-the-way town. This gift of God was unexpected. Secondly, this gift did not look like much. This gift did not look like much. In Isaiah chapter 53, there was a prophecy written down hundreds of years before Jesus came. But it was written about him. And it said, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. This gift that God gave the world didn't impress people. They they weren't happy with their gift. You know, um, come Monday or Tuesday, uh, some of you may sneak back to stores to try to return gifts without letting those relatives know that you're doing it. You know, I think that if the, as you read the Gospels, if, if, if you see the, the story of Jesus from the beginning to end, you get the idea that the Jewish people who he came to would have loved to take this gift back. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they were expected. They wanted a king who was coming to vanquish their foes and, and take back the land from the Romans. Not a, not a baby in a feeding trough. His gift did not look like much. His mother was most likely a teenager who was pregnant before she was married. The father, a simple carpenter. The town, obscure and out of the way. The delivery room, a a stable, a cave where animals were kept. The Savior of the world, a baby who, who needed to be fed and changed and held. A helpless baby. This was not an expected gift. My family always loves to, uh, to mess with one another when it comes to giving gifts. Either packaging things, uh, maybe something really small in a huge box that's full of rocks. Or um, they, in fact, one of my brothers did this to Caleb just, uh, just the other day at my mom's. He had, the one thing he asked for from my mom was a, was a fishing rod, a new uh, bass fishing rod. And uh, he was quite certain he'd, get, he'd gotten it, even found the box in the closet, little rascal. And, 
And so um, while we were out sledding, my brother came, took it out of the box and put this old ratty rod in there um, (laughs) with a beat up reel on it. And um, he says he wasn't fooled by it. He knew right away it was a joke. But I saw that momentary look of panic. It was just a second washed over his face as he opened that up. And I said, well, at least there's a bobber on it. You didn't expect it to come with a bobber. And he's like, all right, where's the real thing? Come on, guys. It's not funny. (laughs) The gift didn't look like much. Jesus, you know, even today, often doesn't seem like much to folks. For many people, he's a... He's a, he's, a, he's a Bible story, a bedtime story for children. For others, he's a wise sage who uttered some, some helpful sayings that, that would point us in good moral directions if we keep them. For others, he's a, he's a, he's a heretic for many religions around the world. He's, he's, a, he's a heretic that, that blasphemed God by claiming to be God himself. And for still others, he's kind of crazy. This, this guy who spouted off things about being God and ended up getting, him, getting himself killed. But for those who know the story and believe the story of God's word, believe it to be true, we know that he is the Savior of all who will believe. God's gift didn't look like much to begin with. A baby He was the Savior. This little baby would grow up to be the one who would give his life for our sins. Number three, God's gift did not depend upon worthy recipients. God's gift did not depend upon worthy recipients. Romans 5, 8 tells us that, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us let the gravity of and the beauty of this this verse fall upon you that while we were still sinners Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies while we wanted nothing to do with them he did the greatest he showed the greatest act of love that's ever been demonstrated in all of human history. Did your mom ever make you give a gift to someone you didn't want to? Maybe a valentine to a classmate that you didn't want to? Like, mom, she's already kind of creeping me out. If I give her this, she's going to think there's something going on. Just write her the valentine. Come on. Maybe you... Gave a gift even to an enemy, to someone who you knew didn't like you, and you thought, you know what, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to show them love irregardless. But who among us would lay down our lives for an enemy? Who among us would have our blood shed for someone we knew despised us? And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. I'm so grateful that God's gift did not depend on us measuring up, on us earning it. You've been a good boy this year. You're going to get Jesus. 
No. All of us deserved coal in the stocking. Even worse, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. And what we got was a Savior. Now that is amazing. The greatest gift. Fourthly, God's gift was costly. God's gift was costly. You're probably familiar with a verse that goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Some of you have dared to chase the thought of what that might feel like for the father to give up a child, to send his child to the earth and watch him be mistreated and abused and hated on and ultimately killed, put to death. Some of you have put yourself as best you could, as, as, as our human minds can, in, in God's shoes to imagine the pain and the sorrow. Don't think that God is not a being who feels. He created emotions, and God has emotions himself. The gift that he gave the world came at great cost to him. It tells us in Romans 8.32 that he didn't, even, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. When I was in 11th grade lit class, uh, we had to read a lot of different things, and most of them I've forgotten, but there was a short story that we read that I've never been able to get out of my mind. It was a story called The Last Leaf by Oliver Henry. I want to just share it with you briefly. The Last Leaf tells the story of two aspiring artists who have moved to New York City to try to make a name for themselves. Sue is from Maine, and Joanna, or Johnsy as she's called throughout the story, is from California. They meet at a restaurant, hit it off, and agree to share a flat in, in the Greenwich Village area of the city. Johnsy particularly has a dream to one day visit the Bay of Naples and paint it. And that's what drives her artistry. Well, below them lives an old, cantankerous drunk named Behrman. He's never amounted to much as an artist, always just about to paint the greatest masterpiece, but never quite getting it started. Well, that November, the weather was particularly harsh, and pneumonia struck. Poor Johnsy, whose thin Californian blood was not prepared for the elements. As the days went on, her condition worsened, and so did her spirits. She began to grow despondent as hope slipped away. 
The doctor told Sue that if only Johnsy could, could grasp hope and muster the will to live, her chances of surviving the pneumonia would dramatically increase. Sue did all she could to encourage Johnsy, even trying to lift her spirits with the thought of one day visiting Naples to fulfill her dream of painting the bay. But nothing worked. Johnsy stopped eating. One day, Sue walked into her room and saw her weak, pale friend looking out the window. And she heard her whispering something. And she said, what are you saying? She went closer and she heard 12, 11, 10, 9, and then 8 and 7 in rapid succession. What on earth are you doing, asked Sue. Johnsy explained that she was counting the remaining leaves on the ivy outside of her window that snuck up along the brick wall. She said over the last few day, over the last three days, she'd come to believe that once the last leaf fell, then she too would go. Six, said Johnsy, in almost a whisper. They're falling faster now. Three days ago, there were almost a hundred. It made my head ache to count them. Now it's easy. There goes another one. There are only five left now. Well, of course, Sue tried to talk Johnsy out of such a silly notion, but nothing assuaged her. She truly believed that when the last leaf fell, she would die. Sue managed finally to convince Johnsy to get a little rest. And she went downstairs to talk to the elderly, almost painter, Behrman. When he heard about the ivy and the leaves, he couldn't believe his ears. What foolishness, he said. How could this young girl be losing hope? Well, returning to the apartment, she found, Sue found Johnsy still awake, and she drew, or still sleeping, so she drew the shade and tried to get a little rest herself for the night. Well, during the night, an awful storm came through. The icy wind howled, the rain fell. And in the morning, Sue awoke to find Johnsy staring at the shade. Please pull up the shade for me, Sue. Sue didn't want to. She, she didn't want her fears confirmed that the storm during the night took away the last leaves. Johnsy continued to insist, so finally Sue lifted it. And Johnsy couldn't believe her eyes. Somehow during the night, one last leaf had managed to weather the storm to cling to the little dry branch. Johnsy said, I've been a terrible girl. Something has made that last leaf there to show me just how foolish I was. It's a sin to want to die. So she sat up and she asked for some food and said, Sue, someday I hope to paint the Bay of Naples. Well, slowly throughout the day, her condition improved. The doctor visited that afternoon and said, if she continues on this course, she'll be out of the woods. And the next day he came and pronounced her well. She had come through the pneumonia. Later on that day, as Johnsy sat knitting in her bed, Sue came in. Her face was ashen. She said, I have something to tell you, Johnsy. 
Mr. Behrman died of pneumonia today in the hospital. He was ill for only two days. The janitor found him the morning of the first day in his room downstairs, helpless and in pain. His shoes and clothing were wet through and icy cold. They couldn't imagine where he'd been on such a dreadful night. And then they found a lantern. It was still lit. And a ladder that had been dragged from its place and some scattered brushes and a pallet with green and yellow colors mixed in it. Look out the window, dear, at that last ivy leaf on the wall. Didn't you wonder why it never fluttered or moved when the wind blew? Darling, it's Behrman's masterpiece. He painted it there the night the last leaf fell. We're touched by acts of sacrifice, by one who would be willing to give their life for another. When God sent his son Jesus into this world, it came at unbelievable cost to the Father and to the Son. This gift, this gift would cost everything. But the effects would mean the redemption of God's people. God's gift was costly. And finally, God's gift is life-changing. God's gift is life-changing. In Hebrews chapter 2, it tells us that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. Maybe you've experienced an act of someone's generosity and you couldn't believe it. They gave you an unbelievable gift. Maybe it was a a gift of a house or a large sum of money. Perhaps there's someone even here who's had an organ transplant whose life has been saved by the gift of life. Those are all gifts that, that can change your life. But none changes like Jesus Christ. Today and throughout the Christmas season, maybe you're going to get a lot of gifts. Maybe even some amazing gifts. Some ones that make you want to shout and run and and give the giver a huge hug and thank them. But not one of those gifts will compare to the greatest gift that's ever been given in the history of the universe. Jesus, God's own Son. And if if you've received that gift, then my encouragement to you is worship. That's what Paul says here. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Take time from the food in the presence, in the laughter, to just bow before him and say, God, how grateful I am. But if you're someone here today and you haven't received that gift, what I mean is, is that, that you come to a place where you understand as a sinner you need a Savior. And, and that 
that that man is Jesus and that his death on the cross was not simply execution at the hands of an angry mob, but it was planned before the foundation of the world to pay for your sins. He died in your place. Just as Behrman gave his life to save Johnsy, it's a small picture, a human picture of what God has done for you. He stood in your place. He took your condemnation upon his shoulders and he died so that you might live. I pray that if you've never received that this Christmas today would be the day that you receive the greatest gift in all the world. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Now this morning, I, I received some great gifts from my family. <laughs> and over the years, I've received gifts that I knew I didn't deserve, I didn't earn. But none compare to the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. God, may this be a day that we take time to step back and worship the baby who would be king the infant who would be Savior. And God, if there's hearts here who've not received that gift for themselves, stir them to do so today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Merry Christmas.